Welcome to Equestrian Movement's Fast Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our first Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling, and husbandry, or an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today we are doing part two of our conversation with Shannon from Humming Horse Equestrian. Make sure that you've caught up on episode one from last week as we continue this conversation about energetics in the horse-human relationship. You can have a look at the links in the show notes to find Shannon's online course, Cleaning Up the Contact Zone. And you can check out her work over on Instagram or her website, Humming Horse Equestrian. So without further ado, let's kick off part two. And so I guess if I could ask you a question, like, um, so you've made it so that it's safe. You know, you've taught the horses, like when they're unsure, just, we're just going to stop. And then the human has to be like, trust me, this is in your best interest that this horse has stopped. So I get that. In your... In your way of doing things, do the humans, are they mostly kids? No, I do um, kids and adults. Yeah. So um, I'm sure you do this. I'm just curious what it looks like. Do they learn horse ways? And, and even in any given session, is the session allowed to change direction because of what the horse has initiated? Lovely. Yeah. What does that sure. look like? If I can uh, dare ask you the question. <laughs> so, no, this is good. I love it. Um, yeah, it's super challenging. One of the things that I butt my head against the wall with is that the people have to care about the horse mm-hmm. and getting people to care about a horse that isn't theirs to the extent that is required for the horse to care about them is yeah. very hard. Um, having people come in from other riding schools where they've, you know, mostly in riding schools, you're taught to bum to tail. So it's the Mm -hmm. quickest way, the most, um, economic for a business model is that as soon as you're like basically not bouncing off the side, then you're going to go into a group and, um, you don't actually tell the horse what to do. You're just kind of pat what I call it passengering. And so then you don't learn how to communicate to the horse. You just learn how to passenger. So Mm. I'll have people come in that haven't owned their own horse because this, I think this is where we really learn it is when we own our own horse. We're like, oh, actually just sitting on the horse and directing it with our aids is not how to ride a horse. That's like how to ride a motorbike. So when they come in from other schools, 
I ba- it's basically starting them from scratch. Like how do we make that shift from passengering to working with the horse? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we do our group lessons, it's all independent riding. They learn how to navigate each other and they learn how to communicate with the horse. All of our group lessons have a half hour groundwork session. And so like Um, my groundwork session isn't, you know, like natural horsemanship, like swinging the rope around kind of thing. It's like, we've done two years of stand with relaxation. What does it look like when your horse is starting to relax? Like watch those visual signals of relaxation. And then, you know, you're paying attention to them when you're riding because we've got tension building being able to stop before that tension's building too much, come back down to relaxation, like those kinds of things. The students that don't want to put that much effort in quit and leave me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I say if they don't want to learn this, there's a riding school down the road that will let them bush bash so they can go to that one. (laughs) Um, So it's definitely a very specific person that is able to do this work and they have to care about the horse for it to work because the horse is aware of whether they care or not. And I have one horse in particular that will let me know from the get-go if it's not my person or like they're not going to do this work (laughs) um, because he'll just refuse to do anything for them. And he's Mm -hmm. what we would typically call a stubborn horse. And Mm -hmm. so if the person is committed and goal like committed to goals, goal oriented, wanting to like achieve a certain thing, he will refuse to move. If mm-hmm. they are paying attention to him and connecting with him and working with him, then he's beautiful. He's like lovely. Like he's, a, mm-hmm. he's frustrating. You know, mm-hmm. um, we still have to do kid things. Like the last day of camp, we've had, kids there for three days the horses are getting a bit sick of it the wheels are coming off the kids because they're tired so it's our game day it's kind of like our muck up day yeah and um they're the days that like he will refuse to me and some days I'm just like oh rabbit like come on just work with us for a little bit longer bud and one Mm -hmm. of my other students was like but you know that would be changing who he is and we don't change who they are. I'm like, oh, heart moment. This is what we're trying to learn is like how to work with the individual, not how to get specific things to happen with our horse. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it is is challenging. It's not a good business model, that's for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's like, can be hard, you know, when you have to lose clients and I have to, I'm always having existential moments like that, where I have to re-clarify with myself because um, it's not about not being willing to compromise a bit and being inflexible, but it's a slippery slope when you try to accommodate too much of the human desires in the name of business, where your ethics are no longer your ethics. Yeah. I already, I already feel too much compromise um, in, you know, maybe sometimes certain types of equipment mm-hmm. that some students want to put on. I mean, I, I do have my hard lines um, or, you know, little things like um, doing Liberty with a, a student and um, with the horse. And let's say the horse wants to swap directions, which, I accommodate because I'm more interested in why do they want to swap and, and what do we do then? Like, I don't really care that they swapped. I have, 
no interest in being punitive because there's been some like, oh, you disrespected me. So not interested. You know, I'm more interested in, okay, what's going on physiologically or even emotionally that you needed to switch directions? Let's examine that. But for some students, that'll be like, um, they just, it's like catastrophic based on like the collision of everything every other coach has told them, you know, and if it's their horse, I have to, like, it's moment by moment where I have to repeatedly think about like, am I going to throw down here? Is this going to be the hill I die on with <laughs> a certain client? It doesn't take long before you can get a reputation as, oh, they're being difficult. But then I have to remind myself, what am I being difficult in the name of? Am I being difficult in the name of my own ego? And I'm digging in my heels metaphorically uh, because I don't want to be challenged by my own student. Not at all. Not at all. I'm digging in because I'm invested in this horse telling me what they're trying to tell me. And if, if, if we go the way of what the student wants, I've just cut out a whole big piece of information that the horse is trying to give me. I want as much information as possible. We're all detectives when we're working with horses and even for the people that aren't detectives in their actual like horsemanship or in their riding, I'll tell you when they become detectives, even the most callous um, of all the horse people, when the vet bills start getting too high (laughs) or when their Grand Prix prospect is suddenly no longer sound, then they become detectives. Oh, why? Oh, does he need, is it a saddle? Is it like, infinite amount of money on new saddles and saddle fitting when it's like it might be that i'm going to tell you unpopular opinion i do get good saddle fitting please do that but i rarely think that's actually the issue i think that's kind of the um the coping mechanism has 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 uh broken down you know but the issue was long before the saddle issue because I've seen a lot of just really okay saddle fits go a long way yeah. in, a, in a good relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where the horse is listened to. So I, I do think, and it is a trap like that I fall into still myself. And it mm-hmm. is that trap of like, we've grown up in, um, you know, power over power under relationships, like dominant submissive relationships. Um, and so like, I think these generations are really shifting what that looks like when we're talking about equality between, you know, kids and adults and being listened to psychological safety, compassionate leadership, those kinds of things. Um, but it's still hardwired, right? Like I try so hard with my son for collaboration Mm. (laughs) as a three-year-old and um you know some days like he can cut the straps and I want to just tell him to put his shoes on and get out the door so I can get to work (laughs) yeah but I and and this is like that that body awareness stuff like your nervous system right is like you want to catch that emotion before you bring it into reality and you put it into action because that's where the damage to the relationship happens. That's where you yeah. lose the trust and confidence. So when I feel that happen in my body, what I do instead is I sit down and I get myself into like a more submissive state just to mm. 
just to shift myself Mm -hmm. and I sit down with him and I like bring him into my lap and I give him a cuddle and I'm like okay let's talk about this like where are you at why is this so hard why aren't we working together yeah how can we get your shoes on (laughs) yeah Finn can do hard things Finn can do tricky things like and and sometimes that's it right like you know he's three the effort to get he really struggles with long socks but he Mm. loves wearing long socks but he can't figure out how the heel gets onto his heel and so then like our time frame for shoes blows out from five minutes to half an hour (laughs) we have to like sit down together if I like just blew up on that nervous system reaction because I'm feeling the time pressure and I'm feeling the other commitments and we need to get to daycare that's where I lose that quality of relationship with him but if I can like step out of that and it's it's being able to catch that and, and that's your body awareness is being able to catch your experience there and saying, no, this is not how I want to be in this moment. You just have to like kind of step out of it a little bit and have that agility to step into where you do want to be and then come together again. Um, The horses do this. So what we've taught our horses is if they're like starting to get stressed they come in for cuddles with me and mm. and we do like lots of mouthing behaviors and all of the horses do lots of licking now. So okay. if they're getting a bit stressed and overwhelmed with looking after the students, they come in for a cuddle and they'll lick me and um, they'll kind of, so I did circle of security with my son and um, they taught not like to hold until they wiggle free basically is like okay. make sure the cup is filled until you send them back out again. Yeah. So like with the horses, they come in and it's not like a quick lick on your way. It's yes. like here, I'm here for you for as long as you need yeah. me. And yeah. then when you're like reset, you know, yeah. we just do a little reset on the computer <laughs> power yes. cycle. Yeah. Uh, then they, they do, they just take themselves back out and they continue the work with the student if the work like if the student is on board with working as a team not with like trying to get what they're trying to get and so uh we kind of do these like little connection moments so that we can like almost like resynchronize the nervous systems to work together because so that we're like down regulating and up regulating into work together Mm -hmm. because it's like when we up regulate together but like sorry up regulate away from each other and we start pinging nervous systems off each other and the nervous systems start firing that's where we're going to see conflict we're going to see like the behavioral issues we're going to see the frustration like the arguments coming from our horses because we're instigating the argument by not hearing and listening to what they need in that moment yeah yeah. Yeah. A lot of what you're naming when I'm hearing these different scenarios, whether it's with you and your son or or in your, your lesson context, it's like, I think any of us that are doing the work we're doing right now with kind of like carving a new path of horsemanship, we all need to just be aware that like we're existing in kind of an unprecedented era, you know, and I, I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't tell how long we're going to be in this transition phase, but the transition phase I'm talking about, and I think you, you named it, I don't remember what your words were, but like, 
we're in a new age. We're in an era of waking up to the mistakes of the past. You know, in the Western world, we've become comfortable enough that we have time to examine our trauma and even look back at ancestral patterns and try to remedy them. But we're in really unchartered territory. And the reason it's unchartered is there's very few intact healthy cultures on this planet still. They do exist. They tend to exist more in indigenous cultures where there's like multi-generational um, healthy set of boundaries. It's not all on just two parents or in some case one parent to have to be the everything or for a couple to be everything to each other. We're talking about big tribes, right? And established kind of norms for how to be in relationship with one another. In the modern world, you know, I don't want to get too political and philosophical. It is my way. And I it really, it's inseparable. Like the way I come to horses is inseparable from my political and philosophical views with humans and with our collective as a species at large. But for your own audience sake, I won't hang out here too long. But it's, you know, in our modern times, we're mostly consumers. That is our culture. And we're really kind of a few generations out of a number of wars and parents who, I mean, our parents wouldn't have, maybe not our grandparents, maybe more getting into great grandparents, great, great grandparents would have been coming out of these war times with massive trauma that wasn't examined, right? So we're lucky enough. I mean, we've got our own stuff and we're traumatized too in our own ways, but we've got the space to begin to examine it a little bit. But with that, so, you know, as we examine it, we want better relationships, not all of us, but the people like us that are doing this kind of work, we want better relationships with our children, with our, our companions, with our animals. And our idea of better relationships is something along the lines of more egalitarian or, you know, co-creating. But I'm seeing some kind of like, there's confusion there too. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm trying to be um, uh, like compassionate around that confusion because we are like the first generation, unless you are anchored in some kind of culture that has really definitive, you know, like rites of passage and norms for how to conduct yourself in good relation with each other. Most of us don't have that in the Western world. And I shouldn't say the Western world, you're in Australia, but in, in modern culture, right? Um, so I think our uh, intentions are really good, but I think we get a little confused around some things because there does come a point in certain relationships, and I'm thinking in particular about uh, parent-child relationships, especially young children, or I'm thinking about when certain horses are really dysregulating, Mm -hmm. where I'm an advocate for strong boundaries. Yeah. And some people are a little bit surprised because they hear me talk so much talk of softness. But I also get, you know, so sometimes I've got clients that are too much from the mainstream mode dominance frameworks, and I have to teach them to be softer, slower, softer, slower, softer, slower. Then I get other clients that are like, you know, new agey, hippy dippy like I think we're the same thing but then I realize 
they actually really have a hard time mobilizing any kind of healthy aggression or healthy boundaries. And for them, you know, one of the things I say in a lot of my writings is like most of our models for power are toxic models of power. It's toxic power. And we've mistaken all power for toxic power because we don't know the difference. And I'm trying to create some nuance around power and boundaries. Power isn't a bad thing, although it's very hard to find good measures of what healthy power is. And I'm still figuring it out. But um, so I guess I just want to say there is like I do make a distinction and like and I'm, I'm thinking in particular of like this image with children, because this is where the example comes up. It's like we can't just be our child's friend which doesn't mean that you're just their dominator either. It's something way more complicated than that. What you're doing sounds amazing. I'm like really happy. I, my daughter's 28 now. And so when I was raising her, first off, I was a very young mother, but I was a young mother who was a horse trainer. And so I had pretty clear ideas about like where boundaries are. And I also had a really strong idea of her having her own sense of agency that I didn't want her kind of like constantly relying on me, needing me for everything. Mom, this, I wasn't going to helicopter parent. I was too young. I didn't have time to helicopter parent. So I kind of raised my daughter with a strong sense of agency, but also consequences. (laughs) It's like you get to make choices, but choices have consequences. (laughs) And that can be tough. And so I guess I just want to say like, yeah, I I love this and I love all these directions you're going. Like it's I I'd love to see your work in action because it sounds so well thought out. <laughs> but I always want to make sure that I'm always on record as saying that although I'm into these softer modes, and again, this is where if we're in the energetic mode, like I in my academic life, I guess you could say that part of what I did was ethics. Like I was an ethicist. That's what I'm really interested in is what is right and what is fair. And one of my big topics uh, about what is ethical was freedom, right? Like, but what are the limits of freedom? And is there such a thing as absolute freedom? Of course there isn't. So when we get into the energetic mode, and I'm working with horses energies, not all big energies are dysregulation. Not all big energies are them trying to dominate me or disrespect me. And most of the difference about how I'm even going to characterize a given energy coming out of a horse, or in some people's case, a child, is going to come down to my ability to, as you said, regulate my nervous system. And lo and behold, the better I can regulate my nervous system, yeah, sure, I'm good at boundaries, but I maybe don't need to make those boundaries so hard. You know, I ran into a woman at a party. I'll just say this story really quickly to illustrate this point. Uh, We met, she uh, got to talking about horses. She had worked with horses in the past. And so blah, 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 horse, horse girls at a party that didn't have other horse people in it. So we're chatting away and we were talking about this topic of like, oh, we're really into these like soft modes, ethical ways of being, but it's really important to have healthy boundaries. And so I'm thinking, oh, we're on the same page. This is beautiful. And then she says, yeah, exactly. Good boundaries. You know, like, so I was working with this horse and it bit me. So I hauled off and kicked him in the ribs, you know, good boundaries. And I'm like, 
whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we are not talking about the same thing, yeah. you know? Um, to me, the question is like, what were you doing? What situation had you even put that horse in where it had to bite you so hard? Not victim blaming. Maybe, maybe it really was that I, as the human in the relationship, always assume I've got to have a little more regulation because in typically the horse didn't ask to be there. So if they do something, it's not that I don't have boundaries, but I usually I'm going to take some personal responsibility and be like, what did I do to put them in a situation where they felt like they need to do this? And also hauling off and kicking them. I mean, there could be a situation where that's appropriate, but I'm almost always going to say probably user error, probably like that would have to be a really extreme situation where I'm going to agree that that was the correct response. So when I'm talking about good boundaries, I'm not talking about beating them up. I'm talking firstly about having such a good sense of your own center. And I really try to remind my students of this because I am very invested in the ethical interests of the other, like the big O other, whatever that other is, whether it's my child, whether it's my partner, whether it's you in this conversation. But I can't be so invested in the other that I'm emptying myself. And actually, my online course that I have right now partly uses this as a central concept because I'm seeing some confusion on the quote-unquote ethical side of horsemanship where people are getting some kind of twisted ideas of ethics of that being good to our others means emptying yourself and becoming kind of enmeshed with the other being. And in human worlds, we would call that codependency. The more modern term is enmeshment. But I love this term enmeshment, and I use it as like the foundational concept of my online course, because enmeshment, there's my hands are showing you, my fingers locked, kind of intertwined, tangled. Enmeshment has a real energetic and physical reality. And I see that not just an emotional entanglement happening with the people that are trying to do ethical modes of horsemanship, where they're getting kind of confused emotionally. And they're, the, the horse ends up getting kind of used for unmet emotional needs in the human's life. And so we've got this whole new problem coming up with horses coming out of like the dark side of the ethical world of horsemanship, which is emotional labor of the horse and then being kind of like, it's a strong word, trigger, trigger alert, but like emotional slaves. And that sounds like a really kind of dramatic term, but like, if you just sit with that for a second, that's what a lot of people's, um, uh, what's the term for it? Uh, companion animals are becoming. And in particular with horses, because horses, unlike, some of our other companion animals, we have this movement aspect with them where we want to be doing all these activities that involve movement. What I, So I'm seeing this like emotional enmeshment, this codependency, this entanglement of, of kind of like oh, emotional needs oh, that you're trying to get from the horse, but it's a physical 
confusion too. A physical confusion of bodies, of cues, of physical orientation, where's one body standing in relation to the other, of geometric angles of bodies, where you think you're asking the horse to do one thing, but if you actually understood spatial relations and could feel and see energy and lines of travel, you'd see that you think you're asking the horse to do this thing, but actually your horse is, your body is blocking them energetically because their energy bubbles are much bigger. Ours are too. We just have not in touch with them. You would see that you're actually sending mixed signals with your body and then you're getting mad at them because they won't go, but actually your body is telling them not to go. So, um, I guess all this to say that like we're in this beautiful era of rewriting relations with our animals, but new problems <laughs> are being born from that. And so I know we're like, I feel bad because we're practically just at the beginning of this birth of this new way. And then there's already someone like me going, like, yeah, careful, yeah. careful with that thing. Yeah. Because, and again, this is why I keep it in the energy, because I have met so many clients that talk the language of goodness and compassion and unicorns and fantasy and like all these beautiful things. But in practice, it's some actual like kind of dark stuff. And I'm really invested in getting us matching words and sentiments with actual energetic realities. And if that means we have to bring back our expectations, which is how we open this conversation, mm -hmm. that's not just for the horse. That's yes. for all of us. Like, let's make sure we are living in a physical reality that isn't divorced from what our mental or idea or ideals are, are occupying. Oh, love it. I knew you would break my brain eventually. <laughs> um, so, uh, letting go. Um, of attachment to physical outcomes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we, we come in, we're invested in, in this thing happening so we can get our own dopamine hit so we can get our own task achievement. Uh, but the horse isn't there with us. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be achieving that task. Yeah. So being mm -hmm. able to like let go of our emotional attachment to the outcome so mm -hmm. that we can meet the horse where they're at in connection, mm -hmm. in relationship to each other yeah. so that they understand or it's not for them, it's for us so that we understand how we're going to effectively communicate to them in a way that is team not power over yeah to be working towards that goal yeah and it starts with that deep awareness and it's not just about having the patience because like I see a lot of people say I just need to be patient and then they totally disconnect so they're not actually That's getting cool. into patience they're just like I was talking about with Finn is like you know sometimes you do have to step out but <clears throat> If, if your version of patience is stepping out and disconnecting yes. and then stepping back in at that same energy, 
then mm. you're not reconnecting with the horse where they're supposed yeah. where, well, where they want to be to receive direction from you yeah this and this is the power struggle right it's like i i am a very highly strung very like me 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 like direction 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 kind of person mm. and a mm. lot of people don't receive that very well and mm. my horse in particular doesn't receive that very well so he gets frustrated my partner mm. doesn't receive that very well and he yeah. gets upset with me my son doesn't receive that very well and he slows right. down my employee doesn't receive that very well and she thinks she's in trouble so it's like oh, wow. being able to find that down regulated place of like quiet and calm to like yeah. come back in as a way of being in that place of authority and giving direction in a way that it is well received so that you're not just antagonizing that nervous system response because even though we don't want to admit we're in the place of power with our horses we are in the place of power with our horses we control who they live with where they live what they do how they do it what they eat when they eat whether they see vet care whether they don't how they work when they work who they work with like we control every thing that happens to them so even if you're uncomfortable with the idea of being able to give direction to your horse you are actually in control of everything that happens to them so you want to try and find a way of like that integrating well and Mm -hmm. so then that really brings us back to like that deep awareness a lot of people struggle with the downregulating mm-hmm. and the slow work mm-hmm. because of trauma that is stored in the nervous system. Yeah. And so that doesn't, it doesn't even have to be big trauma. Like I have no big trauma, but mm-hmm. I have blocks where I like, I don't want to go there because like my nervous system has experienced that and says, no, don't go there. That was bad. And then you look at it as an adult and you're like, oh, well, it's not actually that bad. Like just mm-hmm. revisit it. And then like, you know, create a new experience for yourself. That means that you can go there with the horse. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, there's like, and, and I think this would be similar f- for you in, in your work is that if people aren't ready to process these experiences, they can't mm-hmm. go there with the horse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much around that. I guess I would say like, I'm just picturing you know, you beautifully use your own nervous system as an example of being like a very kind of accelerated nervous system. And to me, I love that. Like this brain's a supercomputer. It does things really fast. I have a capacity to move my body very fast. I can talk very fast. I'm fortunate enough that certain life circumstances and engagements and nature connection and meditation and so on have taught me to move slower but I will also say like, we, we work on reward systems as well. Yeah. And when a being, I won't say you, cause it sounds like you're pretty dialed already, but when a being starts to see the rewards of just working in the smaller incremental, you know, I talk about, I've heard this in your own language. So I think you'll get this. Some of my principles are short feedback loops of tension in, tension out. And also very small asks. So thin slicing your questions that you pose to the horse. And first off, even saying, 
I ask the horse a question. I don't tell them to do a thing because I want to co-create with them. I want to pose a question and receive an answer. I don't want to just do it. And we get like 10 steps into something. And I realized, did they even say yes? (laughs) Or did we just like, was there ever even a yes there? Yeah. And so question, answer, right? Um, And so we're always looking for, and if the answer is no, great, pause. So I think sometimes for those of us that move fast, we just maybe our brain wants something to kind of like chew on. And so if it's given (laughs) like these actual like increments, sometimes they haven't been given the framework in small enough chunks where they can even conceptualize the interaction in its, you know, molecular form. I say molecular, like in its smallest form. So I go question, answer. Answer is yes. Great. Mm -hmm. Can the yes be sustained without me adding more? Yes. Brilliant. Now we have some flow. The question is sustained. So let's say I asked for trot. They gave me the trot. Yay. Can they continue to give the trot without me push, 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 push? Because that's often when the nervous system gets overloaded. So they gave it to me. This is back to my idea of ease and effort. Sometimes people are pushing. They haven't even taken the pressure off or what it, it can still happen with positive reinforcement. They haven't let go of the input, whatever, whatever, if it's the stick that the horse is running after, or if it's the pressure that they're running away from, whatever it is, I'm always interested in, ah, okay, I got the thing. Can I now take away my request? And can they continue to do that thing? And if so, if yes, for how long? If it's only three seconds, I measure three seconds. If it's half a second, I measure half a second. My brain is very systematic about this. And so then my fast supercomputer of a brain is very satisfied because although we're working slow, there's information and meaning and inputs in all levels of it. And so, oh, they, they're able to do the trot for two seconds and then it peters out and I have to give a new input. Brilliant. I'm going to practice. Can I give the input? They do it for two seconds. And during those two seconds, I leave them the F alone. And they can start to find comfort in that feeling of not being nagged. And knowing that the nagging isn't just like um, an emotional construct or whatever we might call that, like an external emotional demand. Nagging is a physical input. So it's like bandwidth. You know, like if you keep putting stuff in the channel, the channel's going to get blocked. You have to find that formula with each being on each day. How much can I put into the channel? And the and can I notice the moment that the things I'm putting in are now blocking up? There's a traffic jam. Ah, I noticed the moment there's a traffic jam. Okay, I back off. How long does it wait before that block resolves itself does it resolve itself on its own does it resolve itself immediately or do i have to proactively do something to help the block release i think if more people started paying attention to oh i've put in too many inputs we have a backlog anyone that's worked in like a, a like a fast food kitchen or something would know like look i've got 
10 chips up on, they call them chips, like 10 orders up on the wall. You got to hold no more orders. I got to get through the 10 that I have. Imagine 20 orders, 30 orders. There's going to be smoke coming out of your ears. Yeah. And so on the flip side, when we start working in that mode of balance between inputs and outputs through our deep awareness, you know, what we get on the other side is flow state. And that is so rewarding to feel the connection with an animal where, you know, like their reaction to my aid is effortless. It's practice. We're practically, um, we're practically uh, telecommunicating. You know, you almost can't even see now the difference between asking, answering. Might have been a bit mechanical to begin with, but now it's so, because there's no blocks, it just goes through fluidly. The amount of reward my body gets for working in ease and flow with another being, I tell you, that is human motivation to slow down. So I guess that's kind of my case to be argued for anyone that's saying, look, I just... I move too fast and I like things to move fast. And that's just how it is. I would just say you might need smaller. I'm not asking you to do nothing, even though I'm a meditator. And I think there is a lot that happens in the nothing mode. Sometimes it might look like nothing, but like processing wise, there's a lot to process. There's lots to look at in that horse's body. You might just need to learn a bit more, not you specifically, but someone listening, learn a bit more about, subtle physiology because what you're gonna see you know I teach my students yeah sometimes we are standing there doing nothing and to an outsider it might look like oh my god people pay her to just stand there she (laughs) just stands there in her lessons what they don't realize is how much we're actually observing and how much little shifts are happening and I promise the rewards are deep when we work in that mode. And the other just quick thing I would say about people that have accelerated nervous systems, yes, finding techniques to downregulate, super important, but maybe just being aware of what in your life accelerates you. You know, like people drink coffee and then they wonder why they're having anxiety attacks all day, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just as an example, yeah. or certain kinds of music or certain kinds of tele- television. Everything has a time signature. Everything has an energy signature. Everything has a frequency and a vibration. These are not just words that hippies use. These are actual empirical measures. Sometimes we just don't have the sophisticated instruments to pick up these measures, but the body is actually, and the nervous system is a very sophisticated instrument to pick up these things. So tuning into these modes and noticing, do I want, is it fun to live in a, on a jittery frequency? <laughs> No, it's kind of like anxiety. Okay, what kind of different patterns in our life can we choose that are a slower frequency? I I listen to very different music than I used to 10 years ago. Most of it is just noise. For me now, I want something with a lot of space in it. And that's how I interact with the horse. A lot of space around inputs. Such a beautiful way of explaining that. Absolutely adore it. Um, yeah. I have to say that for my students, this is the most frustrating work for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, because this is like the putting your goal on the back burner 
to make sure that you're receiving the response from the horse. So you can like blow right through the fact that the horse isn't receiving anymore and -hmm. you can um, push them into just being reactive to you. And so you get the reactions, but we also find the startle responses there. We also find the bucking and the spooking and not being able to slow them back down, not being able to stop them. So we need harsher bits, stronger nose bands, and if we had have just paid attention to the fact that they had stopped receiving information, like their brain wasn't keeping up with what we were asking of them, then they had stopped being responsive and started becoming reactive, then yeah. we would have stopped all the problem behaviors before they started. And so what I find this most is with the canner. If you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast, you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you. If you're working with or riding horses, you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be. Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you, especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma-triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection. And I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.